Oh yeah, I mean, how many, I don't think there's too many companies out there in the collectibles world where the owner is actually sitting there sculpting things and working on paint and working with the employees on actually making stuff, it's pretty cool. Hello and welcome to the Collecting Heroes podcast. I'm your host, JD, the collector of collectors, and this is the place where I interview pop culture collectors from around the world. Today, I'm going to Montreal for my next guest, and uh, we're kind of learning how the sausage is made a little bit, or should I say how the statue is made with my next guest. His name is Dan Richard, and he works for Pure Art Studio. Dan, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. When I got your invite, come and talk about collecting and collectibles. I was like, let's do it. <laughs> and I was excited because uh, we, we, we've been chatting a little bit before I started recording. Obviously, um, I'm a massive Batman fan and, and I came across that Michael Keaton cow that you guys put out, which, which we'll definitely talk about later. So uh, that's how I came to find you guys. But for people who don't know about Pure Arts, give us a, a little bit of the history and, and where, where did it come from? Yeah, you know, Pure Arts is kind of, a, I feel like it's a bit of a sleeper company because people in general might think that we're quite new, we're, we've only been around for a few years, but we've actually been behind the scenes manufacturing for well over 13 or 14 years. So uh, we manufactured for people like Riot, Ubisoft, uh, and a bunch of other gaming studios. So pretty much all of their collector edition video games, uh, a lot of their merch, it's all been manufactured by us. And you can tell there's the little Pure Arts stamp on the bottom that a lot of people don't mm -hmm. know about. Uh, and then about four years ago, uh, the powers that be decided that it would be time to maybe start selling direct. Uh, so that's why we created a licensing department and created purearts.com. They established the Montreal office and we hired a, an e-commerce team and that's kind of how it came to be. So we went from that. Now we still do the manufacturing, but now we also do the direct-to-consumer. So we really do everything A to Z. And we also don't third-party our manufacturing. We manufacture right in-house. So we have our own manufacturing factory uh, in China that makes our stuff. So we have our own employees and our own facilities and the whole nine yards. Amazing, amazing. And uh, so that's 2008 was, was, was when it was founded. And when you say the powers that be, are you talking about Hugues Martel? Yeah, this would be Mr. Hugues, uh, and as well as his, uh, I guess not his partner, but his uh, his business associate, uh, Arnaud, at the time. Uh, he was working in China as well with Hugues. And of course, Hugues is originally from Montreal, and he moved to China many, many years ago to run the business. Um, and so they decided together to go ahead and start PRX.com. Arnaud moved to Montreal, came to Canada, and established the office and started hiring some people and uh, kind of just took off from there. And you mentioned that he's an artist himself, which I think probably was part of the reason for the inspiration, right? And that is myself. one thing that is, yeah, it's so amazing to work with Urg because he's not just a business guy. He's also an accomplished artist, a, a formally trained artist uh, who has been doing artwork for, you know, 35 years. He does a lot of his own sculptures and he will often get involved directly in the sculpting and painting of our collectibles. He's worked on prototypes. He's built giant sculptures. We once made a life-size dragon for a game show where people could climb on the dragon. And we have photos of <laughs> up there sculpting it in the clay and everything. So uh, yeah, he's he's an, a very, very accomplished artist. So it's, it's cool to get both the businessman and the artist uh, as the owner. So he understands both sides. Can that also be like a little uh, little hazardous when you're an artist working in the sculpt studio and you've got Ugo over the back, like coming over trying to maybe, like, hey, like, <laughs> just get, I'll just, I'll just update that, like, uh, is, is, he, is he fairly just... hands off at sometimes, or how does I think that work? it depends. I think it depends. So, I mean, he can't do everything at once. There's so much going on. It's impossible for him to see everything at once. So at some point, he's got to trust people, right? <laughs> uh, but he will generally, he will visit the factory floor, go check on production. He will also often go when everything is in its final packaging stages, he'll go to the factory and go and check out how everything's going. He'll look at the paint and the packaging, make sure everything is good. QC is working well. So yeah, he definitely will get involved when need be, or if let's say we've got some challenges with materials or things like that, he'll get involved. So I guess he he sort of just wears a lot of hats and he, he runs around and takes care of whatever fires need to be taken care of. Plus also make sure that we, we, we pay the bills. <laughs> a busy man, a busy man. 
He's very, he's incredibly busy. The work schedule in China is just a completely different story. Here in North America, you know, we're used to working our nine to five. And, you know, obviously because we work in the retail space, we have to work weekends as well and do shows and things like that. But in China, mm -hmm. it's, I get calls from their people at, you know, one, two in the morning. And there's one or two in the morning, their time, and they're working. <laughs> so it's, oh, uh, wow. I mean, it's, yeah, it's incredible. They do also get a lot of vacation. There seems to be a lot of national holidays in China. I don't know what the story is with that. Uh, so they do get a lot of time off, but they do work extremely hard. And, it's, you know, it's 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 not easy. It's not easy. That's for sure. Well, if you're working that hard, you'd hope that you eventually get uh, some sort of holiday in between. Well, yeah, absolutely. They also work <laughs> on, I believe it's Saturday. I think they only get Sundays off. So they actually work on Saturdays as well. So it's, uh, yeah, they work very, very hard. And it can be very frustrating because... You know, in China, there's a lot of challenges in terms, you know, we've all been hearing during the pandemic that there's a lot of supply chain issues, right? Dealing with yeah, supply chain. That. Yeah, and, and dealing with containers and all that sort of thing. Well, it's the team in China that deals with that. So they get all those frustrations. I just sit at my desk back here in Canada and just twiddle my thumbs and wait for containers to arrive with my goodies. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a lot easier for me. They have to deal with all these stresses. Um, yeah, in terms of the in terms of the supply chain, it has been a challenge. It's getting better. Uh, the pricing on containers has, has come down. Uh, it is getting easier to acquire materials, but at one point it was an absolute nightmare. We couldn't get certain pieces of material to finish, you know, any kind of statue that had you know a dress or some other type of synthetics in there. We had issues getting certain types of resins in. It was uh, yeah, at one point it was a bit of a nightmare. It seems to be getting easier now. Um, now what we're seeing though is definitely there's a cooling period going on right now in terms of the collectibles industry, in terms of people purchasing. So mm -hmm. now it's like, okay, so now how do we make collectibles that are budget conscious so that collectors can still acquire them and we don't, you know, absolutely destroy everyone with the prices. So that's kind of the challenge now at this point. Well, definitely that's, um, that, that's, that's a great segue into learning about, you know, how in, in an economy as we're in now when people are trying to tighten up their budgets, how do you stand out against other manufacturers when, when you're producing and, and marketing these products? It's definitely a huge challenge. This is really not easy. I mean, one of the big advantages is that because we have our own in-house production facility, we have much better control on costs. So that helps us. So we're not, you know, What's happening with a lot of third-party studios or a lot of third-party manufacturers is they're boosting up their prices like crazy. Yeah. And so let's say you're a third-party seller. Let's say you're, you're you know company XYZ and you sell and, and make collectibles. You might have to charge a significant amount more than you did three years ago because the third-party that you're using has doubled or tripled their prices. Mm -hmm. And then you've got your containers that have gone up 500%. So it's, it's really, really tough. So we just try to keep control of our prices. We try to make smart decisions on how the packaging is done, how the materials are purchased, which materials we're using. You know, aside from that, all we can do is really reduce the numbers, make sure that we're producing, you know, good quality statues. If that's obviously super critical because if things don't pass the QC team and we have to start redoing things, well, yeah. you know, then we then we really start taking it in the teeth. So that's something, you know, you have to be very, very careful of. If you have a statue with a very high failure rate of, let's say, you know, I don't know, you get something like 30%, you start entering the danger zone because now you've put yourself in a position where, okay, now I've got to replace all these statues and it just kills your margins. And right now, you know, the struggle mm. for a lot of companies is surviving. Companies are not getting rich making collectibles. You know, a lot of people think <laughs> that these high prices, we must be making a fortune. We're all driving our Ferraris to work, but it's definitely not like that at all. It, the margins are very, very tight, especially in distribution. When it comes to distribution to, um, especially in Europe and things like that, the discounts that they're looking for, the margin is just is crazy. It's They look for very deep discounts because it's just, it gets carried on. A distributor then sells it to a smaller distributor who then sells it to a mom and pop store. So by mm -hmm. the time they've chewed into all that margin, there's really very little to make. So that's why we have to be super careful about controlling costs. And uh, by doing so, hopefully we can bring prices that make sense to people. But at the same time, you know, you gotta be, you have to be realistic. If if you're into quarter scale collectibles, you need to expect you're gonna be paying about a thousand dollars for that quarter scale collectible in terms of you know a full a full statue. It's yeah. just the price, the pricing that we're at. So 
a lot of people are saying, you know, these used to cost $500, you know, five years ago. And we're just, we're not there anymore, unfortunately. It's just the way it is. It's the same thing with cars, boats, you name it. Any of these toys that people are buying, everything has gone up. It's really, really tough to keep those costs where they were five, 10 years ago. It's actually impossible. Yeah, no, that, that that's fair. And like, as I said to you before we started recording, it's not like they're Funko Pops, right? I mean, you've got something like that, which is a collectible that is probably 50,000 of them done in a run, you know, and they've got like exactly, a, mil exactly. a million IPs that they, they produce as well. So their markups and, and everything their volume turnover nets them that that billion dollar valuation that they had but i mean they're still laying off people within their company as well like it they it, definitely it, took some hits yep yeah so no i completely understand obviously from a cost perspective like you know there is a cost to doing business there is a cost to making pieces and I, I think you also mentioned earlier if someone wants to try and produce these on a 3d printer themselves you know for other yeah, people, well, have at I, it I feel like I feel like I don't see these comments from collectors, but you know we obviously run ads on Facebook, and I'll often see comments from people saying, you know, oh, I could make this for a hundred dollars on my three D printer, and I've <laughs> responded to them saying, if you do, please let us know. We'll buy them from you. You can manufacture for us because it's you know it, it's ridiculous. Like we've got a we've got a quarter scale Lady D statue, Lady Dimitrescu from Resident Evil Village, and I mean it's this huge, yeah. gorgeous statue with hand tailored dress and everything. I mean, if you're making that for $100, it's because you're working for 50 cents an hour, you know, and nobody makes 50 cents an hour. So it's it's crazy. And then there's the development time and the development costs, the licensing fees, the, the you know, the the minimum guarantees, the royalties. It's, it's uh -huh. you know, it all adds up. And that's the other big difference, too, is a lot of people, uh, you know, when you think of, you know, I'm a huge Predator collector, so I'm obsessed with Predator. And mm, I remember, yeah. you know. You used to be able to buy a Predator helmet made by a third party unlicensed for, you know, I don't know, 250 bucks, $300. And then you would buy something, let's say, Sideshow made. That was, you know, $499, let's say. And yeah. people would be like, huh, see, I can, why is it so ex more expensive? Anybody can make these in their garage. It's like, yeah, but the people in the garage are not making licensed collectibles legally. You know, mm -hmm. so as soon as you get licensing involved and you're doing things the right way, it gets a heck of a lot more expensive. And I, that was actually another question. So great segue here. Um, <laughs> with that licensing, I guess that's almost like the dark arts of being a business, right? Is, is having those those conversations with licenses, and there can be so many different departments that you may have to talk to for licensing in terms Absol of absolutely uh, the, the imagery, the music, all the all that stuff that goes into the promotion well, and, and the manufacturer. Well, and there's a great example of that, it, it, and you don't think of it initially, but then when you when you realize when you work in it, it's like, okay, wow, this is crazy. So a great example, we did a Michael Jackson smooth criminal uh, statue, which uh, yeah, which is that. absolutely a gorgeous, gorgeous statue. It's stunning, and people were saying, well, you know, the, it should play music because it, it's a jukebox, but the jukebox doesn't actually play music. It, it's uh -huh. a, a sound reactive jukebox, so if you play music next to it. The lights all move with the sound and everything but you, oh, and cool. you could put a bluetooth speaker in it but we, we it doesn't have like michael jackson music so uh, and it also came with like a little replica of his original uh smooth criminal single and, and some other stuff and what's crazy is that people don't realize is that there's four licenses involved just to make that statue so if you want to do wow. something that great like so you need you need the estate you need the license to just call it anything michael jackson uh -huh. You need the license for the likeness. You uh -huh. need the license. If you wanted to use the music, you need the license for the music, which is insanely expensive, insanely expensive because the, Michael Jackson's label is owned by a studio. So you need the license from them. And then for the CD replica, you need the license for the artwork of the CD replica. It, it just goes on and on. And you have to pay a percentage to all of these people and you have to pay royalties to all of these people. So. It, 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 you got to be careful because a statue cost can get quickly out of hand if you put these this level of detail. But mm. people don't, you don't generally, unless you work in the industry, you don't really realize that. Same thing with our Terminator products. You know, we have a great line of Terminator products for Terminator yes. 2, which we, we yes. love doing them. Um, <laughs> and a lot of people, myself included, are asking for a battle-damaged Arnie. And the thing is, if we do that, uh, it doubles the cost of the statue because now we need the Terminator 2 license and we need Arnold's likeness, which literally uh, doubles the cost of the license. 
So, and we've always had pretty good price points on these. And if, you know, if any of your listeners haven't seen this, you can go on purearts.com and check it out. They're basically full scale art masks. So what it is, it's a full scale bust, but you actually don't have the back of the head. It's like hollowed out for the most part. So it's yep, really yep. a front facing piece. And it's because of that, we're able to shave a quite a bit of pricing off of there. And they're resin, they're not like silicone masks with, with individually hair punch, except for a penguin, mm -hmm. but that's a whole other story. And <laughs> so we're able to offer these for, you know, $500, whereas a bus these days will cost you $1,000, $1,200. So we try to keep those margins low to make these all very attainable. But if we start adding people likenesses and other things, it, it just sends the prices into the stratosphere. And then, it, and then we get the backlash, like, why is it so much more expensive than your T-800 endoskeleton skull? Well, it's because you wanted it to look like Arnold. Guess what? <laughs> yeah. You don't pay unless you want to, or it'll look like Arnold's cousin, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so the Michael Jackson should come with a little uh, disclaimer on, on the box that says, you know, platinum selling signal not, not include. Like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, it's a beautiful piece. The Michael Jackson, and it's interesting because different parts of the world have different you know levels of interest in michael jackson and in europe and in china they just like they love him so it yeah. sold it sold extremely well the deluxe the deluxe sold out we've got a couple of units that are that are left but the deluxe which is the one that includes the michael jackson statue and the jukebox yeah that sold out really really quick um and then and now all the only one we're pretty much selling now is the one without the jukebox i kind of like the regular version and it's a beautiful piece because all the all the clothing is real and it's all hand tailored like a real suit it's just done in this you know smaller scale uh i believe it's one third wow. actually yeah so it's a it's a one third so he has a full tailored suit so a smooth criminal suit is, is tailor-made even his suspenders are elastic suspenders like they're actually like legitimate suspenders it's it's really what? neat there's a little this silk shirt with the individual buttons he's got the the, the little crystals on the cufflinks it's uh the little crystal cufflinks he's got for his shirt uh, the tie, which is really a tied tie. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> well, I mean, from the King of Pop to the King of Action movies in Arnie, I mean, obviously that, that's such a, an expansive variant uh, on the types of collectibles that you're making as well. When you actually started as a business, you mentioned, obviously, you were producing for places like Ubisoft and, and game manufacturers. How, how did they find you as well? Because I, I, I heard in another interview where you mentioned that it's not just you seeking out the licenses, but now you've come to a point where people are actually seeking you out to make some of their props and collectibles as well. Absolutely. Well, I believe Urg uh, at the time had contacts in the gaming industry. So how okay. he had those contacts, I'm not sure, but I know that somebody at Ubisoft is a good is a good friend of his, and and that I think that's how the conversation started. So okay. what the roots are exactly, I'm not sure how they got into the manufacturing side. I don't stick my nose in the manufacturing side very much at all. In fact, it's interesting the PureArts.com team don't know much about manufactured products because it's done completely siloed from us. So when we when we get contacted by somebody and says, "Hey, where do I get this this product you manufactured?" and they'll send us like a picture of it because I know something broke. All of us are kind of looking at each other going like, we have no idea what that is, sorry. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's kind of tough. Every once in a while, we'll get something. For example, I actually have it right next to me over here. I, I've got the Cosmic Edition SpongeBob box set, the, the collector's edition for their for their, uh, for their video game. What? I, so, I saw, like, I, I'm, I'm sorry your viewers won't be able to see it, but from the Cosmic Shake game, look at that. Oh, so, nice. And it comes with like a SpongeBob Patrick uh, statue, and there's like a, a big Patrick balloon in it and stuff. Yeah, it's really, really awesome. So every once in a while, we'll get something like that that I'll be like, oh, no, 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 I need one of those. But in general, the uh, the manufacturing side is very much siloed away from the purex.com licensing side. So if I was to ask you how long it takes from sort of concept to actually molding and, and, and producing, sure. would you have an idea of that, though? Oh, absolutely. That I'm fully aware of all of all that side. And actually, the answer is it is all over the place. Okay. Oftentimes, the, the longest part will be the licensing negotiation. So getting the licensing established, getting a concept uh, realized and a concept uh -huh. approved, and uh -huh. then all the little milestones in between that require licensing approval. Some are very quick some are definitely not so for example michael jackson the estate michael jackson's estate is run by people that are 
very, very careful about how that brand is handled. It's mm -hmm. very important that My Michael Jackson is associated with very high quality. Everything Michael Jackson did had to be perfect. His concerts, his clothes, anything that had his brand, he wanted to be perfect. So yeah. it's the same thing with any kind of collectible for Michael Jackson. So the smooth criminal statue was well over six years in the making. It took six years to take wow. that from idea to, to production. So yeah, it's, it's a huge project. And Ug is a massive Michael Jackson fan. He, I am as well, but not as much as him. And he actually has several uh, collectibles for Michael Jackson, including he is the owner of the um, wolf mask that he wore in, in, Thriller. Uh, in Thriller. Yeah. Wow. So he, he has the original mask that he wore. So he's, he's a massive Michael Jackson fan. So he really pushed that through. Now, typically, I would say probably two years is probably more realistic. Generally, it'll take six months to a year to come up with a concept and get it approved, build a prototype. And then once we get that approval, it's generally about a year to go from approved prototype to produced, shipped on a boat in the warehouse, shipping to people. That's, mm -hmm. that's pretty much a good time. So I would say more like probably two years is normal. Six years is extreme, but I would go with probably about two years. Wow, fascinating. And then, you know, there's the time, obviously, you got to get it out to market and promote it and everything like that. Yeah. So I guess that can make, by the time it even gets into a collector's hand, can be like three years almost. Well, this is it. And this is why it's important that we work very closely with our partners because we can't, you know, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what's coming. What? Who knows what Nintendo's going to release or the Sony's going to release or what, you know, what, what movies are going to come out uh, yeah. in a couple of years. So it's important that we work with our partners so they give us a heads up as soon as possible so we can start working on things. So when you see us release a game or, sorry, release a piece that coincides with the game. So let's say, um, let's let's say Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Yeah, that's because Ubisoft and 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 Pure Arts worked on this a year, two years ago, and that's why we were able to get it to a point where we launch it simultaneously. Otherwise, we have to be more reactive. So, like Cyberpunk, for example, we knew Cyberpunk was coming out two years before you know most people even heard about it. Mm. So you know that's what that's what makes it tough. But at the same time, it can also make it difficult to predict how something is going to go. So let's say we're working on a new license. So we've got a new product that's coming out for a new game that should yep. be big, but the game implodes. It's an epic failure, and now we have fifteen hundred statues that we have to sell that nobody wants. Right. So it's 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 an interesting challenge. It's it's a very interesting challenge actually. Personally, I'm all about the movie license. I'm a big pop culture guy. I love movie uh, licenses. I'm not a huge gamer, not anymore. But uh, yeah, but the gaming side is definitely our niche. Where that's what we're known for. We're known, especially for Assassin's Creed. We have an amazing, amazing client base uh, that knows us for Assassin's Creed, and they are like the most dedicated fans of Pure Arts. It's absolutely unbelievable. We go to shows. They show up in their cosplay. They're just they're so supportive. It's just great. Well, the I, I actually because I'm also similar to you, massive pop culture fan more to do with like movies and things like that but not as much of a gamer yeah i i used to game sorry i'm taking a swig of my vodka here <laughs> um, i used to be a big gamer you know in the early stages of online gaming but you know as once you become a parent and everything else it became pretty tough for me to to game and uh, I spend most of my time, my free time, I spend it fishing now. So <laughs> I am a little obsessed with fishing, but I do game. You know, I still play. Uh, I still play some games with my daughter when she comes over and hangs out. We we do some gaming, but I I've got like an old PS3, and we play. Uh, you know, we'll play some Tomb Raider, and we'll play some war games on there. We'll play some. Uh, we'll play uh, some Star Wars stuff. We'll play nice. some Mortal Kombat, and yeah, we'll, we'll do some easy easy two player games. You know, nothing crazy. Nice, nice. Let's go into the movie side of it then. Uh, is there like a white whale in terms of movies or characters that, that you guys are, are currently hoping to one day make a <laughs> There, There is for me. Well, okay. For me, obviously, it's Predator and Aliens. I would yeah. love, <laughs> I would love <laughs> to do Predator and Alien stuff. It is my, you know, that is my absolute passion is, you know, Terminator alien predator that's that's my bread and butter 
So I would love to be able to get my hands on those licenses. Unfortunately, we do not have a Disney license, so that's why we're not able to produce uh, those kind of statues. Yeah, um, yep. so, you know, same thing with Star Wars. Same thing with uh, Marvel. We can't touch it because it's a it's a Disney license, and we just don't have it. But that for me, that is most definitely my white whale for sure. <laughs> and what about also when I, I spoke about like obviously going out and marketing these your role within pure arts is that you are the marketing and sales director which means that you actually have right. to go out and travel a lot you mentioned that the london i think comic-con is coming up that's right know, just a couple of weeks and you're going to be heading out for that yep. what's what's that schedule like traveling out and 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 doing these conventions it is uh, honestly it's probably one of the most exhausting things that I've, I've i've ever done so i used to be in business development in the gaming industry prior to working for pure arts so i've done i've been doing shows for many 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 years however in business development you tend to be sitting down most of the day so you, you schedule yep. meetings at these b2b shows and you sit down uh, it's a completely different story at comic-con and at gamescom it is you're standing the entire day there's actually a photo that was posted on our on our private Facebook group for Pure Arts Collectors where I am literally grimacing in pain on the ground with my back completely <laughs> locked in. And people had a great time. They were Photoshopping it, all kinds of ridiculous poses. It was pretty funny. But it is, it's absolutely exhausting. And um, I try to really focus on just sleeping, eating, and taking care of myself and making sure yep. to stick with my routine. You know, in, in the B2B sector, you know, in business dev, you go to a lot of parties, you go to a lot of like after parties and things like that. I do not mm -hmm. do that. I do not do that at these shows because it's just it's too exhausting. I do, however, absolutely love meeting our collectors. It is so much fun because I do hang out on the uh, a lot of us do actually at Pure Arts. We hang out on our Pure Arts collector group on Facebook. So we talk to everyone. Yeah. And it's just so much fun meeting everyone in person. It's it's a blast. We, I mean, I just absolutely live for it. So it is really fun, but the shows are exhausting. So typically, let's say for Gamescom, that's a big one. Gamescom is a beast because it's, I think it's uh -huh. like five days long. So it's in Europe, right? That's in Europe. It's in Germany. It's in Cologne. Yeah. And uh, that's towards the end of August. So that, that's a big show. It's like 300,000 people. So it's a pretty big show. Uh, we will typically fly out two days before setup. So you kind of you fly out at night at 11 o'clock at night and you land at around, I don't know, let's say eight in the morning. And that's kind of like your I need to survive this day to make it kind of thing. So you basically you try and stay up all day and then go to sleep at whatever local time, European time, go to bed. The next yeah. day we get up and that'll be setup day. So then we'll yeah. typically go ahead and set up, get everything going, shoot some content. Maybe I'll do a booth tour if I can live stream. And then the next day, the show starts. Mm -hmm. So then you've got five days of shows. Then you do the breakdown that night. The next day, you finish your breakdown, and then you fly out after that. So it's, yes. it's about eight days. It, yeah, it's about, it's about eight days. But I can tell you, like, I have – it's my feet are in pain like I have never known in my life. <laughs> it's, uh. it's tough. It's tough for sure. It's it's Yeah, you got to kind of just keep your wits about you and um, – but it's really, I feed off the energy from the people. I just absolutely love meeting everybody. I love doing sales. I love talking about pure arts. It's, I love talking about collecting. It's, it's great. I, I love it. I love the shows, but I can tell you when it's over, I am definitely ready to go home. <laughs> and, and so you're involved in that setup and takedown as well of the booths. Oh yeah. Uh, we do it all. Yeah. Because that's actually something I, I have a little bit of knowledge on because my best mate who I, I've, spoken about on the podcast before he's a massive lord of the rings collector he actually got involved just by chance by going to supernova which is a, a convention here in australia it's like the like a mini like uh comic-con tours around australia and he was going to the weta workshop all the time oh, and talking nice. to the guys That's there cool. because he's a massive lord of the rings fan and he was collecting all their statues so he was there talking with with them talking about statues talking to the artists getting things signed um and eventually they asked him to come and help like because they needed That's an extra cool. pair of hands and so he was he got involved doing the the setup and takedown and got the inside track and eventually went to new zealand on a holiday and they gave him a tour behind the scenes of the, so the workshop cool. offices and everything so that was really cool but he's said he's told me about how grueling it can be that like especially like because the 
you've got certain times to load in and some yeah. places as well and mm. it, it can be really well got, gamescom it's go 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 what like as soon as, as, soon as you do oh it. yeah it's and it's gamescom last year was uh, i learned some valuable lessons at gamescom last year so i made the mistake of booking my flight out the next morning of the, the that the show ended so uh. we we so we decided to tear down to t and the thing is we have to take everything down we have to repack the prototypes which takes yep. forever it takes forever <laughs> so we had to repack everything well we finished at about i would say two in the morning i got to the hotel at three in the morning packed my bag and it was at the airport by five in the morning and yeah by the time I landed back in North America, I had a full blown cold. Like I, and then I went, I, I stayed in bed for like three days. It was, it was brutal. Yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> but we have a couple, there's definitely a couple of, this is the other thing too, is some of the most amazing experiences I've ever had in my professional life were at conventions. And it, when I was nice. younger, when I, when I first started collecting, you know, the Mecca of collectibles of pop culture collecting would be San Diego Comic-Con. SDCC yes. in North America is, is huge, yes. right? So my yes. dream was to always go to San Diego Comic-Con. And the highlight of that visit would be to go and see the amazing Sideshow Collectibles booth. That for me was like, I, I, I wanted to go to San Diego Comic-Con just to go see the Sideshow booth because everyone knows uh -huh. it is the king of booths. Uh -huh. And so finally, last year, uh, we had the opportunity to display our pure arts collectibles at san diego comic-con and guess where in the middle of the sideshow booth nice. so we we had our own setup in the sideshow booth and i got to hang out with sideshow for the whole weekend and uh talk all shop with them i got to geek over all their stuff that they had and there were other <laughs> a couple other companies as well like iron studios was there and prime one and stuff i got to meet all them and it was just, it was just the coolest thing. It was, it was just really amazing to finally. And I was like, this is my little dream when I was a kid, you know, kind of thing. Well, I wasn't like really a kid, but you know, <laughs> collectibles, I guess, keep us young. Um, exactly. And the other one exactly. was uh, we did, we did Montreal Comic Con. So Montreal Comic Con is coming up. We did that last year, and last year, one of the things that we were featuring were the T1000 art masks that we have. So we have a painted T1000, mm -hmm. right, with Robert mm -hmm. Patrick, and and he's got his finger and everything. And the other one is all chrome. Yes, and Robert that. Robert Patrick was at Comic Con. He was no, there yes. at Montreal Comic Con. So we actually picked them up and brought them over to his booth where he was signing autographs. And he freaked. He just pulled, pushed everyone aside, and he's like, "Oh, these are amazing!" And he introduced them. We introduced ourselves to him, and <laughs> he had a great time. And then he had a panel. So he was going up on stage to do a panel. Well, he asked that we bring the statues and put them next to him on pedestals for nice. his panel. Nice. So we're like, we're like, okay, so already I'm freaking out. I'm like, this is crazy. So we go and bring them. Well, Robert Patrick's assistant comes up to us. He says, guys, would you mind? Robert Patrick wants to bring you on stage during his panel. And we're like, you've <laughs> got to be joking me. Well, sure enough, he comes in. He The first thing he does is invite us up on the stage, and he talks to us and talks about the collectibles in front of 2,000 people. And mm. it was just... He had. We, he was asking us questions. We were making jokes, and he went and autographed both of them on the forehead. He put them on the forehead. Oh, nice. I, I mean, I was freaking out. I, like... I, I needed like a good hug and a cry after I was so amped up. Uh, I was like, my heart was going a million because I'm such a Terminator fan. I'm such a Robert Patrick fan. Uh, and God bless that man. He is a absolute sweetheart. And uh, yeah, it was one of the most amazing things ever. So yeah, well, I love conventions. I love conventions. I have to ask the signed versions. Where are they? They are in our studio in the old port in Montreal. Uh, please don't break in and, and steal them. Actually, <laughs> the funny part was is we brought them back to our booth and we put them there and we had a very, very persistent person who kept asking to buy it. Mm -hmm. And he was hovering and we had to get one of our staff to go and sit next to it. And we said like, do not move, do not let anybody touch the statue. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a little spooky. Like, I, I don't know, we were waiting for him to come back with like a trench coat or something and hide it in there. And the thing is you gotta be careful because some people, 99.9% .9 of people at conventions understand that it's on a pedestal. It's a yep. prototype. You don't, you don't touch. Mm -hmm. We actually had, we actually had one guy 
come in and he wanted to see how much it weighed. So he just grabbed the head and lifted it and snapped it off the base oh. about two, two hours before we were bringing it on the stage. And we were like, are you joking me, buddy? Oh, and no. it was it was the only prototype we had. Yeah, it was crazy. Anyway, it's okay. We glued it back together and it was all right. The guy was <laughs> super, very remorseful. Like, we're like, listen, do not touch stuff at conventions. Like, well, you need a sign. I'm like, mm, it's pretty obvious. These are prototypes you shouldn't be touching. Anyway, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was all right, but yeah, it uh, it was it was amazing, and yeah, they're at the office, and I really, really want them bad, but no, well, I that's what I that's why I was asking. I was, uh, did one of them just happen to make it back to your place no, and then no. display somewhere? And, and not a word of a lie, Robert Patrick ordered a set. He bought a set. Oh, nice. Because yeah, so he has a he has a huge motorcycle. Maybe a lot of people probably don't know this. He actually is a co-owner of a huge. Uh, Harley Davidson motorcycle shop oh. in Santa Clarita, California, and in there, there's like a, a, a huge display case with all kinds of movie mem movie uh, memorabilia, and uh, he wanted a couple to to put in there, so we we sent them over to him. Yeah, that's I, cool. was, I was going to say, like, when Robert Patrick invites you on stage during com like a comic convention to talk about your statue, I think you just send him a statue, right? Like, you don't make him pre-order. <laughs> Statue. No, he actually pre-ordered it. He really? legitimately pre-ordered it, and I can't remember how, but we figured out it was. Uh, I I think because he's he's very supportive of our stuff, and he doesn't have to do squat to support this, right? It's not in his mandate whatsoever. He constantly reposts anything that we post about the T1000, and he posted something like, "I've got mine on order," and we're like. It, and I go to the customer service team. I'm like, what do you mean he's got one or on work? What are you talking about? <laughs> so we go looking in and there's nothing under Robert Patrick. So we're like, well, we don't know. So I found an order that was going like near where he lives. Yeah. And uh, we contacted the, the person that made the purchase. And sure enough, it was them. And we're like, no, 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 no. We, we refunded them. We were like, we're, that's, we'll send you that's a what I meant. Card. That's what I meant. Yeah, like you don't yeah, make yeah, him pay yeah. for we're that. Like, no, yeah. no, especially he's been so supportive and, uh, I am debating, I don't know if I want to say this part, you might have to delete this part, but I am debating because we, <laughs> we, we, we like email him, like we, we're just, we're buds now. Um, I am debating sending him a set that he would autograph for me personally. So I don't know, we'll see, mm. we'll see if I can get away with that one. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Well, uh, I mean, hey, if you've got the inside track, why, why wouldn't you? I'm a big believer, right? if you don't ask, you don't get. I, I say the same thing all the time. You don't ask, yeah. you don't get. Yeah, and uh, and it would be remiss of me then not to talk about a collectible that you guys make that I'm a huge fan of, and and <laughs> I and I'm I'm eventually going to be adding to my collection. I'm sure um, the Batman cow. So yes, tell me about the Batman cow because this is uh, as I said at the start of the podcast. That's how I found you guys was through right. seeing this thing and it, it, amazing and finding out that it was actually actually sculpted off Michael Keaton's actual cow from the movie. Correct. Part Correct. of Duke's yes. collection was part like- Part of Duke's secret collection, yep. Yeah, was, was, was fascinating for me. So tell me about what went into producing that. And also you guys have, have essentially made it in a way that it won't deteriorate the same way that the, the original cow as well correct correct so so as you said Irg is the proud owner of the original uh michael keaton batman uh suit so he actually does not only is it the cowl he has the full thing so he's got the whole cowl the down part he's got the cape he's got everything nice. um so it was a, he acquired it from a celebrity auction many years ago and mm -hmm. it's been sitting at his place falling apart since i guess um, and of course, we uh, now anything that old, that latex, it's breaking down, like it's breaking down severely. Yeah. So what we did is we created a 3D scan of the cowl itself. So we took a mm -hmm. 3D scan of the cowl and then, and you can actually go on our website on purist.com and I believe somewhere in the photo gallery, it shows kind of like the different steps. So once we had the 3D scan, it's kind of like the cowl is collapsing. Like he's kind of like, you know, he's collapsing. Uh, His ears are kind of curved inwards. The mouth is <laughs> the mouth is sort of falling down. So a bit sad. then we went ahead. Yeah. So we went ahead and corrected it uh, in in ZBrush or whatever tools that those mad those wizards at the 3D shop uh, do. They made their magic happen and they straightened everything out and fixed it all up so that we actually had a composite of the original mask. So 3D scan of the mask corrected the curves. So this is really as close as you could possibly get to a screen used edition because it's not just eyeballed, it's literally a 3D scan of the real thing. 
Wow. Once we had once we had that, the challenge became what do we make it out of? Because it was not a decision right away. Let's make it out of resin. Let's make it out of latex. Let's make it out of that. We knew we wanted it to have uh, the feel of a of the cowl. We knew we wanted it to be flexible, bendy, but mm -hmm. we didn't want it to fall apart like resin, uh, like uh, sorry, like latex does. So we spent months working on a product that could be made. Like literally, chemists worked on this to create a material that would feel like a rubber or like a latex, but not break down like latex does. You know, 10, 15 years, latex is just literally completely falling apart. The degradation yeah. is horrible. Yeah. So we came up with a poly hybrid based material. So poly is, you know, it's the same base chemical that's used to create resin, right? Poly resin. resin. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's used for vinyl as well. Like, you know, vinyl siding on a house, it's made out of the same stuff. So we created a compound that's poly and some other materials that allow it to be flexible. And the best way I could describe it is it feels exactly like a car tire in terms of its texture, in terms of its rigidity, its flexibility. It feels exactly like a car tire. So this was the very first prototype we got. In fact, the product photos on our website are resin. It was a resin one. And when we yeah. received it, of course, of course, when you set it down, you know, there's the whole cowl section with the little pointy tips. Like yep. three of them broke the second we took it out and put it down. It, oh, just, it, no. it, was, <laughs> oh, it was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. So we didn't even have, we were still working on this polyhybrid material to create the mask. So it was really, really intense. So anyway, we made, we, we survived. We did, we got the whole photo shoot out there and we still didn't get a chance to, to feel what this would be like. And then we went to, I can't remember if it was Gamescom, we went to a show, we finally had the prototype ready, we got the prototype. I can tell you it is the most impressive thing I've ever seen. It really is, it feels exactly like what you would think that cowl would feel like. It's not too floppy, it's not hard like resin, it's like, it's just a perfect, perfect blend of flexibility but also rigid to keep its shape. Uh, and it, the thing is, it doesn't even require any kind of external structure. Like it doesn't need to sit on something to keep its shape. It will forever keep its shape. You you could even you can move it a little bit and it'll yeah. come back. You can't squish it completely. Like if you were to sit on it, let's say, and completely compress it, it might stay a bit compressed. It'll pop back out, but it might stay a bit compressed. But it, it, I mean, it will re retain its shape forever. And so anyway, we get the prototype and I'm like, I'm freaking out. I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Like, it's just such a revolutionary <laughs> thing in collectibles. And then we got the product, then I got the production sample. So I actually just reviewed the production sample, I would say a week ago. We, we got it in and it's, it's stunning. And what's really cool about this, well, not really cool. It's really cool for the users, but not for the customers, but it's not really cool for the production side is yeah. that unlike resin, this comes out black and textured from the mold. You can't, it's not painted. It's not, you can't fix it. It needs to come out perfect right out of the mold. So mm. if it comes out of the mold and you've got air bubbles, you know, when you've got resin, you can fill in those air bubbles, dremel it down and, and boom, you're, you're, you know, Bob's your uncle, you're fine. Yep. But with this, if it doesn't come out of the mold perfect, it goes in the garbage. So uh. there's a lot of pressure to make these perfect. And the one that I got was perfect. The texture is perfect. The the, the shape, everything about it was amazing. And I was I, I, I was floored. And I mean, I don't care. I get it. I work for Pure Arts. I'm biased. But even yep. but I swear I can hand this to a Batman fan, and I guarantee you, you will be impressed with this because it really is beautifully, beautifully done. Well, Dan, I, I just have to say, I mean, I don't actually have a sponsor for the podcast, but if I was, I'm sure I would accept payment in cows for that sponsor as well yeah. if, they wanted, if they wanted if they wanted to sponsor the podcast with us. <laughs> we should have probably talked about that before i came on i guess <laughs> this is not sponsored though i did ask i did ask you guys to come on and, and yeah definitely uh it's so impressive i mean and then you've got the others as a follow-up to that that you made the michelle pfeiffer cow with the whip correct so we've got really the cat woman well. yeah the, and, then, and actually, it's sort of funny that so the, the exclusive edition that's sold on purist.com is the cat clock, right? From the mall. Yeah, yes. But originally, originally, we were going to make the replica of her taser. 
It was going to be like oh. Catwoman's taser. Yes, yes, yes. But but then, uh, so we had an incident with uh, the turn. So we did the T eight hundred busts. Okay, so the T eight hundred art mask that we did, uh, mm-hmm. which is the the T eight hundred endoskeleton, and the yep. exclusive edition was a replica of the M four hundred nine grenade that Arnold uses. You know, he puts keeps putting in the grenade to try and blow up the T one thousand. We I, did a I replica think I know where of this the bullet. Going. Customs, especially in Australia, yes, did not yes. appreciate that. I so would imagine did, so. Yeah. <laughs> so they didn't. So, and it was, uh, we also tried to, a couple of Middle Eastern countries also blocked it and destroyed the statue. So mm. when we came up with the taser, I was actually the one that flagged it to the production team and said, guys, you may not want to do the taser. <laughs> so, yeah, because for sure, because tasers are illegal in so many places, right? So, uh, yes. yeah. So, the taser was not was not had, and we had the clock. So we do have we do have the Catwoman uh, mask, which is also made out of, out of that same material, but it's finished, so it's like a shiny latex. Mm-hmm. Uh, that so it looks like her mask, right? Because it was sort of like that late that that leather latex look that she had, uh-huh. Uh-huh. that was very shiny and glossy. Well, the mask has that, but it's the same material that was used for Batman. So same thing, nice flexibility, but still yeah. not floppy right which is super important because there have been i have seen some batman cowl replicas that have been licensed replicas but they're super floppy like the ears are all bending and stuff like it, yeah. it's, it's weird yeah it almost feels yeah. like jello so we didn't we, you know we didn't want that and then of course after that we did the penguin um art mask which is a really a premium piece for us it's the first time we do silicone skin with uh, real punched hair, well, synthetic hair, but individually punched hair. Yeah. Um, and that's that's more of a premium piece because we knew not everyone's gonna want a penguin. It's not as popular as a Batman or, or a Catwoman. Uh-huh. So Ug wanted to make this special. And it is special to the point that it is super creepy. Like there's a couple yes. of people at the office. Yes. They don't even wanna go to the office. So <laughs> true story, true story. We had a gentleman contact us we won't name any names we did have a gentleman contact our support team and he asked all kinds of questions about the penguin he wanted to know what it was made out of what it looked like what it came with that he had tons of tons of questions and he pulls the trigger he goes ahead and buys it so we're like oh cool he ended up buying the penguin that's awesome the next day he contacts us sorry guys i need to do a refund i need to cancel my order so we hit him up like, why are you canceling your His girlfriend got mad and said, it is too creepy. I do not want it in the house. I could, I was like, you got to be joking me. She's like, he's dead serious. I'm like, oh, refund him. What are you going to do? So he canceled his order because it was too creepy. So well, I'm I, looking forward to yeah. having it on my nightstand personally. I, I And I said this before we recorded that that was probably one that I wasn't going to add to the collection at this point because of the fact that I, I thought it was, was a bit creepy. But I, I, it's also like I think if I had more space, I think I probably would want all three of them. Oh, it's them. it's amazing. And what's cool about this is it comes with all kinds of extra goodies. So you get his top hat. He's got his yes. cigarette, you know, the, the, the long cigarette holder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, he's got his mm-hmm. monocle. Uh, and the exclusive edition comes with a replica of his little duck boat vehicle yes. thing. Yeah. Yes. So it's uh, it's a really impressive collectible. And like, and but it is it's creepy. Like the ears are floppy, like a human ear. And you know the uh-huh. nose moves and stuff. Like yeah, uh-huh. it's pretty. And like the lips move and, <laughs> and like the lips move up. So when you put the cigarette, his teeth kind of open. Like it kind of feels like you're touching a dead body. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it is amazing. It's, it's a beautiful. I will not hesitate to have this in my collection. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> well, Dan, I, I think that's also a beautiful segue um, talking about your collection because yes, I, I, I am the collector of collectors and it would be, again, remiss of me not to discuss the fact that you are a collector and once upon a time you ran your own YouTube channel called Predator. I Stuff. did. Tell people about stuff. that. That's right. <laughs> well, uh, for some reason, I became the authority on all all things Predator collectibles. Uh, I started Predator collecting, uh, I want to say, in the late 90s. Um, and I started off with simple stuff like McFarlane goodies, you know, little McFarlane mm-hmm. toys. And, uh, mm-hmm. and it kind of just grew out of control. And uh, what happened was I started getting into garage kits. I started getting into premium collectibles. And before I knew it, I had over 2,500 Predator collectibles in my house. Wow. Uh, yeah, I had, and it turned out that I had the biggest Predator collection in North America, actually. So uh, <laughs> what was happening was, is people were starting to contact me asking where to acquire rare Predator kits, 
collectibles, things like that. And yeah. uh, one of my friends said, like, why are you giving this information away free? Why don't you start a store and a channel and stuff? And so I was already running the YouTube channel. I had Predator stuff where I would review. I had a lot more hair then, too. Um, and I would review all Didn't kinds we of Predator all? collectibles. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um, and then I started running a store. So I actually had a store called PredatorStuff.com. And I used to sell collectibles. I was a Sideshow affiliate. And uh, it was all things Predator. So yeah, I was a huge, huge Predator collector. I had everything. And what I used to do is I used to run a catalog online where I cataloged every Predator collectible that existed licensed unlicensed you name it one of a kind pieces i also tried to keep track of where movie props were because most of the movie props and molds and things were destroyed they used to just throw them in the bin or light them on fire yeah. right they didn't bring yeah. them back from from port of Viana. they just burned everything so yeah. it was uh yeah it was really cool and i also became sort of an authority on making sure things were movie accurate so a lot of people would ask me hey how movie accurate is this so that was also a big a big thing. So uh, I love doing that. And unfortunately, um, in 2009, the magic of divorce forced me to uh, sell my collection. I had to actually oh, get no rid way. of the collection. So yeah, I sold. Uh, it broke my heart because I did have some. Well, actually, most of mine were one of a kind. I had uh, a very. Uh, yeah, I'm getting upset just thinking about it. I had so oh, many man. one of a kind items, and it's actually what stopped me from collecting, like again, to get back into the predator collectibles and things, because I'll know I'll, I know I'll never get those things back. So I just mm. I I don't even start. And I had you know, and I, I I'm familiar with you know a lot of great artists out there, Eric Sosa and and, and all these guys, right? And I have in, I had individual pieces from them, and I had a beautiful Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Yoda. I had a full-size Yoda statue made by Howard Senth. And Howard is an incredible artist. If you don't know Howard Senth, you need, you need to go check him out. S-E-N-F-T is his last name. This guy is off the chain. And he made nice. a few Empire Strike Back Yoda, and he actually painted it and made it for me. And again, that was sold. Never get that back. I had uh. all of the original Sideshow busts all the original Sideshow Terminator bus, Predator bus, all that, that now sell for like $10,000 or whatever craziness. I had every single original Hot Toy Predator. I mean, you name it, I had it. So mm. that that's long gone. Now, I stopped collecting for quite a while, but stayed in touch with the community, right? You know, obviously, you can never mm -hmm. fully get out of it. And mm -hmm. now I sort of... Um, I've started getting back to back into it. In fact, I've got uh, Animus Altair back here. I see uh, that, one of yes. our yeah, one of our Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed. So, yeah. So what I'm doing is, is I'm assembling my I guess it's like my misfits of pure art. So basically, you know, we we do get returns of damaged items sometimes, especially if they're local, because we'll mm -hmm. use them as demonstrators, we'll fix them up, use them as store demos or or something like that. And mm -hmm. basically I get ones that are broken and I repair them and uh and that's it. So I have a pure arts collection going now i just moved and eventually behind me this will become giant display cases everywhere i'm going to make a crazy collecting room in here so i'm looking very forward to it and then i will have all kinds of stuff to show off one thing i wanted to start collecting that i didn't touch was star wars i didn't touch star wars because imagine predator predator is a pretty niche collection yeah. right like yeah but i still had 2500 pieces of predator Imagine if I start collecting Star Wars, what's going to happen? Because I'm a completist. It would be a nightmare. So I never got into Star Wars. But I notice you have a Grogu behind you, and I have a fairly extensive Grogu collection. I have tons of Grogu stuff. Yeah, so, uh, nice. And I also have a beautiful Star Wars epoxy table that I recently purchased. Uh, yeah. So I do have all kinds of goodies that I'm looking forward to having. Yeah, you know, and of course, I've always got a little predator. You know, there's one of my little predators here. This is... A, something my brother gave me i got an elder predator i was gonna ask got... when you when you mentioned obviously selling off the collection was there an item that you were like i can't sell this and i and i was there like no. one that you kept no uh, no not really yeah, i pretty much thing. sold everything yeah i had a couple of uh i don't even know where they are i had a couple of little things but no i sold uh, i sold pretty much everything yeah yeah, I sold everything. And I mean, like I, yeah, it hurts. It hurts. And I mean, there's, there's things that I got, like I have things from artists that have passed away that, you know, will never get back. Mm. But, you know, and I've got my, I've got Darth Vader here. Darth Vader guards all of my show passes. I know your, your viewers can't see it, but I got my Vader here. <laughs> That's cool. So it's he, like a, the, like a 24 or. It, yeah. It's a half scale. It's a half scale. Um, that was sold at a local store called Canadian. I, I feel like he's about to fall on me. Um, 
it's yeah, a, a 24 inches called, it's bigger yeah it's from canadian tire it's a store that's it's a store chain that's all over canada it's like a they sell tools and knickknacks and things and they had it i, I think it cost like 30 dollars. <laughs> and uh <laughs> his hand is out uh and i always i have a hugh hefner replica pipe that goes in his hand <laughs> So yeah, he's my he's you know that's, that's it. And I I also have collectibles from artists that we've worked for uh, that we've worked with. So this is a bear brick uh, that was signed by um, by an artist that we've worked uh, with on some of our designer toys. You know, oh, we worked with guys me, like give me give me two seconds actually. Sure, what, what you gonna get me a, you got to get one piece. <laughs> one of one of the uh, here we go. One oh, there you go. New one of the newest uh, pieces in my collection, actually, that I just got this year. Oh, nice. <laughs> is, is, a, is the Hush Hush Batman uh, Bear Brick. And I, yeah, I, I was nice. a bit, when I first saw Bear Brick, I was like, mm, I'm, I'm not sold on them. Like when I saw, saw them, uh, like the pictures of them online. But once I saw yeah. that in person, I was like, all right, I've got to have it. I've got to have that. Well, I wanted one. Well, because so we we did um, we have an art toy. I don't know where they are. No, I don't have them here. So we have art toys that are called uh, based based on a character uh, from an artist named Daytoner, uh, and it's called Master Nine Eyes or M Nine E. So we actually have a huge. There's there's got to be about twenty different varieties at this point. There's nice. exclusive editions that stores have done, and we do artist collaborations. And we did one with Sket One. And while we were at um, DesignerCon in California, Sket1 mm -hmm. was at our booth signing, and he had also a bear brick uh, that he was launching in his typical style. So I grabbed one, and I had him autograph the box, and inside he, he autographed the bear brick for me. So uh, this, nice. is more, this is more of an homage to the artist. I just thought it was cool to have something from the artist rather than bear cool. brick itself. That is cool. Yeah. But uh, people go crazy for bear brick. If you've ever been to a show where there's a bear brick booth, whoo, mama, they go nuts for that. There's <laughs> massive lineups for it. It's crazy. Well, actually, uh, you talk about like all those conventions and things, and uh, that you were at, obviously the sideshow last year. And uh, anyone who listens to the podcast may have heard me or lament the fact that I did have tickets to go to last year's San Diego Comic Con, which were rollover tickets from the 2021, but obviously with the pandemic and everything. Uh, yeah, and I, yeah. and and I, you know, I wasn't able to actually make it. So I'm still hoping to make it one day and and see, oh. you know, that that convention and see those, you know, those people going crazy at those at those stands as well. Well, you should come Hopefully. to Montreal Comic Con. It'll, it'll be a lot cheaper than going to California. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, my my next trip uh, is to Japan at the end of this year, and then I I was talking to my girlfriend about the fact that star wars celebration is going to be in japan in 2025 and so that we should start planning now for going back to japan yeah. so we can do that one as well yeah there's so this is the thing too it's very tough to to decide you know so many people are asking us to come to different shows right they're like come here come there it's like the guys sorry guys we can't <laughs> yeah we don't have that kind of budget <laughs> it's not you know you're not making a profit when you go to a show right at least not in the short term but we're yeah. building awareness, right? And we're there to meet people and we just love doing the shows, but we can't be everywhere. So we try and do, you know, a couple in the States, one in Canada, a couple in Europe. We try and go to different places. We we might do something in Singapore this year, but yeah, you know, we try and do different ones. Maybe we'll do one in Australia. Do you have any shows that are like 200,000 people? Uh, I mean, if you, if you add them together, maybe like the supernovas would probably pull 200,000. I think, um, okay, let's, I think yeah. well, what's the biggest think, show in, in Australia? Well, it would be supernova. I think there, there's also Oz comic-con, but I believe like supernova cause supernova is a touring one that goes to the major cities around Australia okay, got it, got it. and they have, they would have tens of thousands of people go through, I would say over a weekend, like for okay. sure. And, and that's where, like, where to workshop in a lot of the places. Uh, Pop Culture in Australia, who uh, uh, I think they're the licensed distributor for Pure Arts. That's that's where I've seen the mask advertised here in Australia. Oh, it could um, be. Yeah. And this is the thing. It's, it's, it's been a challenge. Unfortunately for you guys in Australia, boy, does it suck to ship over there. Mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. uh, Tell me about yeah, it. The shipping is, yeah, the shipping is, is a huge challenge. One of the things I would love to work on, actually, is um, opening a warehouse in Australia where we can container ship stuff to Australia yeah, and yeah. just ship locally, domestically. 
And that way you guys would actually have realistic prices. So instead of an animus statue costing $500, it would just cost, you know, $80 or whatever it is. Uh, it's something we're working on. It's something I'd love to establish. It's just, we're not sure how, you know, will it, will the sales be high enough to warrant opening a warehouse or, you know, we don't, we don't open a warehouse. We rent space in a yeah. warehouse, but it yeah, is something yeah. we're going to be looking at because believe me, me, I, I've spoken to many people from Australia that love our stuff, but unfortunately the pricing, the shipping from, it doesn't even matter the shipping from China, Europe, because yeah. we have warehouses yeah. and we have warehouses in Europe, Canada, US, UK, and um, why am I missing Ch China, Europe, UK, and Canada, US. And yeah. it doesn't matter where we ship from. It's pretty much always going to be five or six hundred dollars for a big box. It's just, uh, it's just crazy. So who knows? Maybe we can open something in Australia. If any of your listeners uh, have the, uh, you know, inroads into a great warehousing facility in Australia, feel free to hit me up. <laughs> oh no, well, definitely. I, I, I think if, if someone's listening that knows, definitely reach out to to Dan. I, I know, like just shipping. I, I, it's not in because I'm currently. As, you, as I said to you earlier, the uh, Batcave is in flux as I've been redesigning the space and, and moving everything around. So currently I don't I have an XM Studios piece, Batman piece, which uh, cost a lot of money to bring from Singapore. That was around $600 yeah. Australian to, to ship from there as well. So I, I, I feel the pain there. And if you could do that and, and have somewhere in Australia, that would be fantastic. But at the same time, because we are, an island continent you've still got to ship here regardless like you've still got to get the stuff here regardless well, that's, so yeah but we, we yeah. can do it with a container right we do it via boat yeah, with a container probably, it's, yeah, it's not yeah. so bad it's, it's not as bad but the problem is, is i need to have enough orders to warrant that i ship an entire container uh -huh. right like that's uh -huh. that's kind of the that's kind of the challenge so i don't know if there's you know we have listen we have enough orders just from the uk that we have containers that go to the uk so i'm sure we could do it in australia it's just we need to we need to kind of shop around the warehousing situation and see what we can come up with because I feel like there's potential for it. I think we could do it um, because, like I said, I'm sure there's got to be you know for every hundred people that come to our store and put something in their cart, probably yeah. 95 say no way when they get to the shipping part, right? Mm -hmm. It's just it's yep. so expensive. But unfortunately, it's not you know it's not us. We're not we're not making money on the shipping. It's just literally what it costs. What it costs. Which is, that's it's, right. It's, and, and it's nuts. It's nuts. Well, Dan, I've uh, I've taken around an hour of your time now chatting to you. So thank you very much. Before I wrap up, let people know where can they find Pure Arts, uh, as well as obviously at these conventions that we were talking about. But if people want to come and actually purchase and, and find the statues and, and find the different collectibles that you guys manufacture, where do they go? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So you just come to purearts.com, www.purearts.com, and you can pretty much find everything that's on there. And of course, almost all the statues we uh, we sell, they're all going to have a exclusive edition. So if you buy from us directly, you get like an extra little, little goodie in there. Uh, you can also come and join us on all our social media networks. If you just go on Instagram, Facebook, anything, you can just look up Pure Arts and we'll come up. We've also got TikTok and uh, we do a lot of Twitch streams. So every Wednesday I do a lunch with Dan. So if you go on Twitch uh, slash, uh, I believe it's just slash Pure Arts, uh, yeah. we do a little, I, I just basically take my lunch hour and I just talk to people. We talk about collectibles. We look at game trailers. We look at the competition. We talk about scandals whatever whatever comes up so we do that every wednesday and cool. uh, we also do we launch a new product about once a month and we also do a live stream from the studio uh, with the with the product in hand and we do close-ups we have fun with that so we do we do that we do unboxings on youtube so if you check out pure arts on youtube we do unboxings product reviews uh product trailers things like that sometimes we do some behind the scenes things as well so we do we do yeah. a lot of media so uh and then of course if you want to join if you are a pure arts collector or you want to start collecting you want to ask some questions we invite everyone to go on Facebook and look up the Pure Arts Collectors group. So if you just look up Pure Arts Collectors, it's our private group. It's about, I want to say it's like 8,000 members or something. And uh, and we, oh, cool. a lot of the staff interact with people as well. And we just talk and show off collectibles, do customs. Uh, sometimes somebody will post something that broke and ask how to fix it, you know, things like that. So yeah, absolutely. Dude. Just check out Pure Arts on, on uh, Facebook and uh, come and hang out with us. I love that. I love that you are geeks hanging out with the geeks and, and just, uh, it, it's really good to actually see that people are uh, not just doing it as a job, but you're yeah. passionate about what you do as well. 
It's actually pretty funny. So I'm on a bunch of different collecting groups. So I'm on the Terminator collecting group. I'm on a bunch of Assassin's Creed groups. I've been, well, obviously before I was ever with Pure Arts, I was already part of Sideshow Freaks and Collector Freaks and uh, the Hunter's Lair, which is actually, I was the owner, I was the owner operator of of uh, the Hunter's Lair for, for a brief period. So, uh, uh, you know, and but now people see me as like Pure Arts Dan. So what will happen is uh, somebody will buy something uh, from us, like a Terminator piece, and they post it on their on their group, and I'll be like, "Oh, cool! Thanks for supporting our product. You know, I, I'm glad that you love it." And they'll be like, "Oh my God, is this Dan from Pure This is so cool!" <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, I was a collector way before I worked in the industry, so yeah, no, I love it. Well, Pure Arts Dan, thank you for being on the show, and uh, I've had a really great time chatting to you. And uh, yeah, as I said, if, if if you're wanting to sponsor, I, I do accept payment in cows, but. <laughs> Uh, it's been a pleasure well, we'll chatting talk, to you we'll we'll talk about our sponsorship agreement but yeah thank you so much for having me on i just i always look for an excuse to to uh, to talk to people and of course guys if anybody's in the uk we've got uk uh, london comic-con depending on when you air this we have we do have uh, london comic-con coming up uh very soon at the uh at the end of may i think it's like yep. may 26 27 28th then we've got we've got montreal comic-con then we've got gamescom coming up and then we've got uh, New York Comic Con, and we've got LA Comic Con. So if you're in any of those areas and want to come and check us out, come and hang out with us. I will be there. Well, this will be going out very shortly. So, yeah, thank you, Dan, and enjoy your fishing trip tomorrow as well. Thank you very, very much. Again, thank you so much for hosting me. And, and hopefully, yeah, tomorrow's going to be a good day. The weather's looking good. I'm going to go back outside now and start tying up my fishing rods and uh, get ready to go. <laughs> if you like the episode, please consider following or subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also join me on Instagram at Collecting Heroes, where you can see photos of the collections of the people that I'm talking to, as well as some of my own.